Our streamlined pro-business approach helps you achieve more by putting less between you and future success. Less red tape, lower taxes, less distance separating you from the tech leaders of tomorrow. This innovative ecosystem will supply your business with tools and resources to compete in the 21st century and beyond. But your future is more than just business success. In Arizona, the lifestyle you want is at your fingertips. Explore cities known for their Southwest heritage and modern vision. Enjoy beautiful scenery and endless outdoor activities on land, water, or snow. And if you're looking for a little friendly competition, we've got plenty of teams to choose from. With constant sunshine, vibrant culture, and natural wonder, Arizona provides a style of living that's entirely unique. People from all over the world call our state home. From student leaders who fill the classrooms of our top-ranked universities to a skilled and abundant workforce that's ready for what's next. To the neighbors, friends, and peers we interact with daily, Arizonans are united by a pioneering spirit that moves us forward. So as you look to the future, know that it's filled with the perfect balance of innovation and high-quality living that makes life better here. Welcome to AZ TechCast, sponsored by Arizona Technology Council, with your hosts, Steve Zelstra and Karen Nowicki. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites leading experts to have real conversations about what is happening in the tech sector across the state of Arizona. From regional news to innovative startups, companies, and emerging technologies, AZ TechCast covers the critical issues and economic trends propelling the state's growing ecosystem. Thank you, JDH Insights, for being our 2021 Tech Advocate Sponsor. A leader in coaching and executive development, JDH Insights is committed to helping organizations cultivate and leverage their most important and complex asset, their humans. Visit jdhinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. Hello and welcome to AZ TechCast. I'm Karen Nowicki, joined here by my partner, Steve Zylstra. Welcome, sir. Great to be here. So glad to have you. We are excited about today's conversation. During today's TechCast, we are going to be speaking with three distinguished leaders and talking about best practices to deal with toxic stress, as well as strategies to improve the quality and impact of leadership while working virtually in these turbulent times. More than ever, leaders must be attuned to the needs of their businesses, their workforce, and other key partners and stakeholders, even though the stresses in their own lives may have increased during the pandemic. We have a lot of ground to cover, so let's get started. Let me begin by introducing to you, Linda Drake, Executive Development Coach at Michael Beach Coaching and Consulting. Welcome, Linda. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. We're thrilled to have you. And Andy Maurer, Coach and Leadership Consultant. Welcome back to Business Radio X. Andy, always happy to have you. Thank you. Happy to be here. 
and Joni Hipton, Leadership Consultant and Principal of JDH Insights, LLC. Welcome, Joni. Thank you. It's so great to be here. Likewise. So glad you're all here. This, as we were saying, kind of in the green room, if we can call it that, uh, that this is an important topic. So often Steve and I with um, our guests, you know, talk tech and we talk uh, just, you know, all the things that are happening. This feels like kind of um, the underbelly of all the all communication and innovation and, and what's going on in our mind, our heart and our bodies. And how are we making our way through this new way of communicating uh, that when I say new, I mean, you know, we're talking, it's more a tech show. So this isn't new for those in technology, but now everybody's on Zoom and we're all doing things remotely in a way that we never have before. So before we jump into the conversation, some of the questions that we've thought to ask and and really gain your insights on, I would love if each of you could start by introducing yourself, again, mentioning the organization or the company that you represent, and uh, maybe briefly uh, what led you to uh, being in the role that you're playing today. Steve, would you mind getting us started with a little bit about AZ Technology? Absolutely. Uh, I'm Steve Zylstra. I'm president and CEO of the Arizona Technology Council and its uh, foundation, the SciTech Institute. Uh, the Tech Council is a statewide organization focused on technology-based companies. Uh, we're a pretty traditional trade association. We do uh, public policy advocacy. Uh, Pre-COVID, we did about 160 face-to-face events a year. Uh, we have a myriad of publications and podcasts. And we negotiate lower cost products and services for our members like uh, an association health plan and uh, a 401k program and so on. So full service trade association serving the tech industry here in Arizona. And we're so grateful that you do. And how long have you all been around? Did you mention that? The Tech Council has been around in one form or fashion since 1985. It became the Arizona Technology Council in 2002. And I took the helm in 2008. Wow, so great. Learn, I learn a little bit more every time we're together. Mm-hmm. Joan, how about you, if you could please introduce yourself? Absolutely. Hello, everybody. My name is Joan. I also go by Joni Hebden, and I am the um, founder of JDH Insights. I've uh, had JDH Insights as my business since 2017, so in, in my fourth year. The reason for starting my business when I did it is that I really was noticing that there was um, a little bit of a lacking for inspiring leadership. And that's such an important topic for me because it's leaders that create extraordinary experiences for employees at work. And so that's just a little bit about me. Um, I reside in Phoenix, Arizona. I've been here for six years and just really looking forward to partnering with everybody who's on on our podcast today. So thank you. Well, we're thrilled to have you. And I mentioned ahead of time that we're so grateful for JDH Insights being our tech advocate sponsor uh, in 2021 and also 2020. So we really appreciate the way you've shown up on behalf of the podcast and all of the guests who have come before you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And Linda, if you could introduce yourself as well, please. Absolutely. Um, I'm part of Michael Beach Coaching and Consulting, and we are honored to support the AZ Tech Council by producing the Tech Focus Member Spotlight for podcasts, which we, uh, if you will, design and produce in, in total. My personal background is that I had a corporate career before I decided to become a global entrepreneur. Uh, I didn't know what I was in for, but it was a ride. 
I opened up a co-global customer service organization. We were all over the United States and eventually had two facilities in the Philippines. And I'll tell you, I was absolutely honored to get the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur Year of the Award for uh, the Delaware Valley. And after I sold the company, I embraced becoming a certified executive coach. And as far as Michael Beach's uh, organization, uh, that organization is nationwide. There are a number of us that are in the organization providing coaching and consulting to the C-level and emerging leaders. Wonderful introduction. I look forward to learning more from you. It's our first occasion to connect. So thank you for that. And thank you for all that you're doing on behalf of Arizona Technology Council as well. Andy, let's hear from you. Tell us about yourself and how you serve the world with your cape, with a, your cape on. We already mentioned that. Oh, uh, yes. I'm an emotional wellness coach. So I coach high-level leaders, CEOs, founders, and entrepreneurs. I started actually in this journey as a licensed therapist. And as my clientele started to grow around leadership, I branched off on my own, really focusing on coaching the leader on how to integrate both their professional life and their personal life together. And what I saw was there was a large gap there. There's a lot of struggles of who they had to be and what was actually going on on the inside. And with my background in therapy and trauma, I found that I found a good fit with leaders because um, they didn't have so many spaces to process through what was going on on the inside. So I create a safe place for leaders to show up and be human so that they can experience peace and wholeness on the inside. Mm. Excellent. Well, we've got the right panel, don't we, Steve? We do. <laughs> For sure. So let's start with, um, let's talk a little bit about what is emotional wellness and why is it important? And and it's always kind of strange in, in Zoom settings like this, instead of having you all sit in the studio yeah. with me, you know, taking those cues from each other. If we, if we talk over each other, so we talk over each other, we always know how to back off. We're professionals. But uh, if you could each just share maybe your perspective and tag team off of each other as we talk a little bit about emotional wellness and, of course, why it's so important. We all know that. That's why we're here. But perhaps some of our listeners might be struggling or they have somebody in their life that may be having difficulty. And something you say today is going to make a difference for them. So who could kick it off for us with a, a definition? I'll jump in since that's literally my title. So I'll yes. do my best. Uh, emotional wellness to me really represents that there is uh, a prioritization of emotional health for the leader, not just their professional development and how they observe their team and how they treat their team, but also for the leader that they're in tune with their emotions and they're very aware of how their emotions impact them and impact those that they lead. I think um, an emotionally healthy leader is one who's in tune to that process. Beautiful. Anything to add on to that? I, I would agree. Oh, so I would agree. I think that one of the things that, especially from a leadership standpoint, is oftentimes what happens with leaders is they think about the things that they need to do and not necessarily being connected with who they need to be and how they need to show up. And it starts with who you are on the inside, right? What, what you're noticing about yourself, again, as Andy had said, understanding the impact that you might have with others around you and being able to self-manage some of those, those aspects. Um, which which takes a lot of consciousness and intention. And sometimes we move so quickly, we forget about that. I see repeatedly that we need to coach the whole person and coach the person, not the problem. Mm 
And so it's in that tech context that we need to focus on what's happening with the individual. And I'll just share a real quick story. I was on the phone the other day with someone and that person told me that she has lost 26 people, friends and relatives to COVID. That is a huge burden. And as leaders in an organization, we need to understand we're dealing with our own emotions, but we're also dealing with the emotions of our employees. I'd like to jump in there. Um, you've really brought the subject up, Linda. Um, over the past year, uh, we've all been through an incredible experience, right? Uh, I, easy to say that no one has ever gone through anything near uh, what we went through last year. And, you know, it was COVID, it was uh, social unrest, uh, political um, angst, uh, all kinds of things. And it created a very difficult environment for folks. What, what are your impressions on how this has affected the psyche of leaders overall? And uh, what, what sort of remedies or therapies or outcomes have you seen uh, of people dealing with it and working through it? Maybe start with Andy. Yeah. One thing that I think leaders are gifted at is taking complex problems and high levels of stress and actually pushing through those in order to accomplish success. Most of my clients would describe that they live on what's called a razor's edge, which is this very narrow line of high stress where you can fall off at any moment, but somehow they straddle that line. And I think what happened during the pandemic for all of us, but especially for leaders, is they took all of those very natural emotions that emerge under stress, which is anxiety or fear or grief in the midst of loss. And what they did, because those didn't produce a helpful outcome for their success and growth and development, is they pushed those down inside. They shoved those down inside and they locked those away and then they charged forward. And what that did inside of the leader is it created a large incongruence between who I have to show up as and what's actually going on on the, on the inside. And I believe that that's actually one of the greatest um, threats to burnout or one of the greatest contributors to burnout. And that is um, one of the greatest contributors to this idea of toxic stress, which we can talk about later. But I think one of the benefits for leaders, um, what they can do is they can begin to recognize and slow down and ask the question, who have I had to be during this season? And does that actually align with who I am and what's actually going on? And if there's a large incongruence there, the leader needs to mend that. It needs to bring those together. Not that the leader has to expose everything to the organization, but they have to have a place where they can begin to be honest and real about um, what is going on on the inside. Because during the pandemic, they had to push all of that down to survive. You know what I love about what you're saying, Andy, and, and it, you prefaced it earlier, which is that the, the, a tool that leaders can use in this particular situation is to work with a coach and somebody who can hold a safe space for them to allow them the opportunity to explore what's going on inside in a safe space and so that they become more comfortable with noticing it and then being able to do that self-regulation a little bit. But first, you know, I think what you and Linda and I'll do is hold that, that, that space for people to be safe and to express what's going on. And for, all, for us to be very present and ask the right questions 
that help them unearth what's there for them so that they can then share that as appropriate, but then find the tools that they need to, to manage through. My comment on that is that flexible workplace is here to stay. And all major key functions for managers in their roles are really the same, but the context has changed. And my philosophy is that more leaders need to become coaches. Yes, it's important to have external coaches, internal coaches, but more leaders need to adapt the coaching philosophy where they're understanding where their employee client is really coming from, that they know and develop a trust relationship, which you mentioned, Joey, uh, which is absolutely critical. And to start where that person, that employee, that coaching is, instead of having an expectation that they should be 30 degrees to the right, focus on where they are and then work on the development. One of the challenges in that too that I would say is for me, it's easy for me as an emotional wellness coach to tell leaders, hey, you need to deal with what's inside and actually start to feel that. But for a leader who has no um, cognitive template or emotional template for their entire life to understand what is emotion, how do I identify it, what does it feel like in my body, Work has been a way that they have um, buried all of that for so long. It's what they know. So it's actually really high risk for leaders to do this work because they think, okay, what's the cost for me? It's actually easier for me to keep running at this highly dysfunctional but effective format where I'm producing a lot. Yeah, I have high levels of stress. Yeah, my family's you know struggling and whatnot. Um, so there is a very large cost benefit analysis here that they go through that if I pursue emotional health, one of their greatest fears is that Andy or any coach will take away my superpower, which is my ability to work 24 seven, get a lot of stuff done and um, be very black and white in my life. But the downfall of that life is they don't get access to some of the things that come with recognizing and feeling emotions, such as purpose and meaning creativity, connection, and impact. And I think that's what a lot of leaders propels them in, into this work is because they've lost that because they've disconnected from that part of their soul, that part of who they are. But this is a very hard, I, I want to be very honest, this is a hard sell for leaders when you've been going 40, 50 years in a certain way and we're asking them to shift a paradigm that most of them, it's not worth the cost. And I understand that. I understand how difficult that would be. I'd like to speak to that. So I really felt the stress last year. You can imagine uh, trade associations, uh, the basic business model is uh, focused on doing events and you have members. And uh, because the members didn't know what was going to happen in the economy, they're, um, uh, you know, one of the first things to go is your associations do is right when you're worried about meeting payroll and rent and things of that sort. So very tough year. And I, and I know exactly what you're talking about, Andy, about sort of being on that razor's edge. And just by nature is, uh, you know, a type personality always going 120 miles an hour. But what I was able to do and have been able to do over time is I have and I do suppress all of that 
during my work week. But I have outlets uh, on my weekends, for instance. I'm sort of an amateur horticulturist, and I just love plants, and I'm always working in, the, in my yard or even in my house. Um, I ride motorcycles. I have all these outlets that allow me to sort of get away from that intensity that I experience throughout the week and uh, really, you know, refresh myself. And by the beginning of the next week, you know, I'm always ready to go again. Is that is that a common uh, outlet for people who have this sort of pent-up emotion? It is common if people can tap into that's what is going to work for them. I had a, a client I was working with not too long ago who just themselves, Steve, and you bring up some really good points, very similar to how you just described yourself. And and when I asked about the outlets, especially during the pandemic, this person was like, stumped, I don't know. And I said, well, what, what did you do pre-pandemic? Well, I loved skiing and I loved playing my guitar and I loved all of these things. And I, so I, I hooked onto that and I said, so where is your guitar? And he said, it's just over there in the corner. And I said, is it out of its case? And he said, yeah. I said, do you want to go grab it for a minute and hold on to it? And he didn't. And when he put his guitar, you know, and this is, again, unusual, but he put his guitar in his lap and you could just see his whole body release. And so some of the work, you know, with some of these executives is to ask, to tap into exactly what you're saying. Where are your outlets? What are you doing? Um, What do you love to do? What, What did you used to love to do? Right. And and listen where um, listen to where that is and then encourage them to seek that. Um, ask them questions about what it is that they want to do with it. But I think I think you tapped into something beautiful, Steve. Thank you. Important points, Joni. Um, I think that what I'm finding is individuals who are in fast growth companies with a lot of demand and working at home with children, do not have that balance. Um, And let alone if there are other impending issues like divorce that's going on at the same time. The emotional strain on some of these people working in high growth companies is absolutely incredible. And I think the most important thing that anyone can do for them in terms of their management is to listen, to really listen to them, to treat people individually based on their needs. We talk about the five C's of leadership, character, commitment, courage, confidence, and communication. I think it should be six. I think we need to add compassion. We could end the segment right there. <laughs> Compassion is is so critical, uh, along with all the co- other components that you mentioned around leadership. Um, would you would you agree that this last year that we've come out of, and all the things that Steve kind of highlighted that we've been dealing with, has led us to have to be more in touch with our emotions. I know that's how I've I've felt and, and I've seen some folks who are high performance and, and high profile handling that very well. And I've seen others hand, handle it not so well. So uh, is it a 180 for leaders to to show their emotions? And, and, and when is it okay to do that? Personally, I think it depends on trust level. 
And that is really the overall filter that's been guiding the consistent leadership of companies. Uh, trust is built on a shared purpose and the belief that you're going to accomplish that purpose. But I, I love some of the information that I gleaned from Posner and Coes. And, you know, one of the things is you have a vision, but you can't give trust before you get trust. So leaders need to understand that they've got to create that sense of trust and share personally with all the humanity that we have of what's really going on with each of us. And that's what builds trust. And the level of trust your people have in you really determines the amount of influence you're going to have with them. I think one of the added pressures for a lot of leaders during the last year had to do with expressing very high levels of confidence because their teams uh, were concerned about what the future might hold. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if the, if the leader shows too much concern or vulnerability in that time frame, it's uh, passed down, I think, to the, um, to the team and it creates even more anxiety. And uh, I don't know if you find that in general in your, in, in your coaching. And, you know, vulnerability is very often something that uh, leaders have a hard time expressing. But at the end of the day, it can lead to trust, right? When a leader is more, more vulnerable. But there's a time and a place for it, right? There's this time when you really have to show uh, you're in charge, things are okay. We're going to make it through this and get to the other side. You know, it's interesting, Steve, as, as you were saying it, what you were saying, and you're right, it is, it's hard and it's important for leaders to, to have this sense of confidence, mm -hmm. to balance, right? When I think about, you know, being able to navigate through the uncertainty of what we've just been through, it's finding that, that balance in terms of what is the right thing to say or what, how is, what is the right way to be at the right time. And I, you know, I recall really early on during the pandemic speaking with one of the um, CEOs that I work with, and there was so much uncertainty and so much unknown. And to your point, you know, she's asking herself, what is this going to look like and how do we sustain the business? And also recognizing employees are looking up to her for all, of, all the right answers and also recognizing that she doesn't have all the right answers. She's never done this before. And her ability to articulate that, right? Here's the, the business hasn't changed. Here's our vision. Here's where we're headed. And, and the acknowledgement that there are some unknowns, but her then confidence that the team is going to be able to help sustain what they've had or figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, and her ability to say, I don't know what I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I do know that, you know, Together, we, we can continue to, to sustain and grow the business. But I don't know what that looks like yet. And that in and of itself helped to calm the team down. Like we are, we're all in this together. And then it gave her some ability and grace to get really clear about what the, the next path forward was in a virtual world. I think for leaders, it is, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes and I'm hearing their objections as we talk almost as if, it's extremely difficult for leaders to even 
tap into and understand how to move into vulnerability. So I just want to, I, I think I keep coming back to that because it's easy for me as a coach to tell leaders what they need to do. And yet at the same time, leaders need those bite-sized pieces because this is very scary work. I've been in this work for a long time, so I'm more comfortable with it. But for someone who's never put their foot in that water, it's scary. And I think a really important thing to remember is that it's always the best leaders are those who can have one foot in their pain and one foot in their power equally at the same time. And what I know when problems arise is when a leader steps over and places two feet in their power and they're detached from the pain that's inside or the discomfort, and then they become more narcissistic, they become more autocratic, they lose touch with empathy on others. And yet at the same time, if they lose their power and they put two feet in their pain, they lose their sense of self-confidence, they lose their sense of identity. So it is this balance of, I never want my leaders to be two feet in, two feet out. I want them to have one foot in, one foot out to say, acknowledge that you struggle because you're human. That's a part of what it means to be human. And yet at the same time, you have unique giftings that no one else has. The way that you can pull this off, the way that you've done this in the past is amazing. It's a gift. And to allow them to embrace both of those equally, that binary um, way of being is new for leaders because they're so used to a black and white, one or the other way of being. I'm either fully insecure or I am fully confident. And to give them permission that you can have a part that feels confident and at the same time, you can have a part that feels afraid. And that is a great leader as well. I think that one of the things that leaders need to concentrate on is creating a culture of hope. So they have to be able to communicate to their organization, you know, let's imagine this future. Uh, let's envision our tangible, tangible goals. And let's, of course, we need to, and repeatedly, focus on equity and inclusion to surface the different perspectives in our organization. And that culture of hope is the, if you will, the lighthouse in the storm. And it raises everyone's spirit to get connected to the why, our real why. Why are we doing this? And serves as, as I said, that lighthouse to inspire uh, everyone on the team. I would love for us to focus a bit on uh how to support uh, leaders and professionals in this virtual environment that we're all experiencing. How can you best help manage? What are the tactics and techniques that business leaders are leaning on to deal with uh, not only the toxic stress during the pandemic that's showing up, but also how to lead a team in a virtual environment? It's not easy. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and that's why you're asking the question. It is not easy because it takes a different kind of energy to lead people in, in a virtual environment. The, the level of connectedness, the, the Zoom fatigue, the, um, you know, what are the right, what are the right tools? Does, do you have the right tools to lead a team in a virtual environment? So, you know, it, it's the virtual video calls. It's also, um, you know, the, the instant messages and things like that. I think for leaders, it's, it's really about setting expectations around availability, about, you know, reaching out and connecting with people on a, on a regular basis to check in and see how they're doing. 
um, understanding what it is that in a different way that motivates them, right? Right now in this virtual world, we get to see everything. Whether you see my dog walk in while I'm on a, on a podcast or, you know, and we get to know each other's families a little bit. So understanding goes back to the whole person conversation, right? The employee is an employee that produces results. But in this virtual world, understanding that you're now leading and managing a whole person with a whole life that you can now see that you couldn't see before. Um, I think what's changed a little bit is that I think leaders have learned more about their employees in this virtual environment than they ever knew before. Remember early on during the pandemic, I was working with an, an executive and she said, I had no idea that one of my employees had three kids. I'm like, interesting. Okay, what else don't you know? And how do you connect? So that sense of connectedness to make people feel seen while they're feeling very isolated and also giving people space to manage their lives. I think, Lindy, you had mentioned earlier people working from home and having their kids, you know, at home and balancing all of that. So those are just a few thoughts that I have. Andy, or Several, several years ago, uh, I'm up at Amazon in Seattle. And I'm seeing people come in, huge dogs and pets and all kinds of things. And the kind of working environment that they were in, well, that working environment is now remote. But I think what's so interesting is you take a company like Amazon and they're doing some very unique things that can be duplicated across a lot of smaller organizations. They're doing Zoom in personal guidance painting. So they have a respected artist and they're doing, everyone's doing painting in a given hour. Uh, they have expert talks on global problems. They have random social lunches on Zoom. They have monthly random 30 minute coffee chats with someone outside of their team, remote to, if you will, the pod that they're working in. They share uh, nighttime movies, and then everybody can chat about the movie as they're watching it. And the one thing that made a big impact on me is they're prioritizing wins where the group decides. So let's say in a given month, Joe speaks up here and says, you know, Janice just did an outstanding job on XYZ. Those accolades, and that's what they call it, then are sent to the senior manager who once a month communicates that to the whole group. That positive reinforcement, that engagement that they are in has helped to keep them on a cohesive track toward their goals. When we talk about Zoom fatigue and we talk about exhaustion over virtual meetings, I think more is happening there than a simple fatigue. I think what's happening that we haven't really addressed is that um, the feeling of frustration and anger, the feeling of exhaustion, the feeling of low energy is probably a little bit of grief. We're moving from a deeply connected world into a virtual world and our brain is very clear on the difference between being in a room with someone and all of the social cues that are firing in our brain and a virtual screen. Our brain isn't activated, it's not firing as well, and our brain senses the disconnect. And grief is a really natural response to loss. It's a natural response to losing something. And what did we lose? We lost the depth of connection. And I think if we address that, that gives us permission to recognize 
my brain actually desires something so much more than what I'm currently getting. And what I felt like our, our culture did was they tried to normalize and even advance the idea of Zoom and say, look at how nice this is that we can all be connected and we can all be do meetings whenever we want. No one was speaking into the grief process that comes about by moving from deep connection to a screen. And the way that I try um, with my clients or even on something like this to stay as connected as I can to my process is I will make sure that I can see my face on the screen as well. A lot of people don't like to do that because they don't like to see themselves. But what I do frequently, and I've done it on this meeting frequently, is I will look at myself and I will make sure that I'm connected to myself. I will make sure that I'm aware of what does my posture look like? What does my face look like? Because if I'm unaware of that, I can read that a lot better in person, but on a video setting, I kind of go into this sleeping mode, right? Where my brain isn't firing as well socially. So I need to make sure I'm checking in with myself and making sure, Andy, are you connected? Andy, are you alive? Andy, are you uh, um, expressing yourself properly? So I think just even having your own screen up there and checking in with, with yourself frequently brings a sense of life and connection to yourself. But Grief is the area that we have not addressed. And in fact, we passed over it and we started to praise the idea that we can connect virtually now. I'm reading this. Yeah, I, I think that's really an interesting point. Um, yeah. I, I've talked to, well, first of all, humans are social animals, right? Yes. And, uh, yes. So, and we know the difference between real connection and virtual connection. Right, right. And um, some people are now predicting, you know, for a long time, Folks were saying, well, you know, this is probably the new normal, right? Uh, we're not all going to go back to the office. We're going to continue to connect using Zoom and other platforms. But other pundits are, are predicting that we're going to see something more like the Roaring Twenties because so much pent-up demand for people to want to connect again that it's going to be crazy. So I don't know where we're going to end up, but... You know, I can tell already, uh, given how many vaccines that there have been and, you know, that we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, people are really starting to perk up about the fact that we're, the Tech Council is going to do face-to-face -face events again, right? They're sort of, they can't yeah. wait for it. So uh, it's, it's really an interesting phenomena that you're speaking to, uh, Andy, and uh, how it plays itself out once we're able to to reconnect will be very interesting. I had started, I go ahead, Andy. With virtual, there's a sense of ease and there's a sense of productivity that comes into that. But I completely agree with you, Steve. In my assumption on understanding human behavior and the way that the brain is structured and wired, the part of the brain that is relational, which is the limbic system and the brain stem, that is the, our cognitive brain develops last and it's very logical and linear and productive. But we're driven by our lower brain, and that's a relational brain. So I think when we jump out of this at some point or as we move forward, we're going to jump strongly back into relationships because of this suffocation, this, this lack that we've had for so long. That's very interesting. Uh, the book that I've just finished reading and definitely want to go back to again is called The Wild Edge of Sorrow by Francis Weller. It is a fantastic book around grief. And really, as we've become, you know, just this technology-rich society, uh, really globe all over the world, 
um, how much we've poo-pooed and shoved off this grief idea or this sorrow piece and, and how critical it is in the evolution of self and the evolution of our relationships to honor the grieving process, right? And, and we've all pointed out grief is not just I've lost somebody or, or a job or that sort of thing, but we've all experienced a collective grief. And to the point that we've all made, you know, many of us haven't known what to do with it. So it's so wonderful to have this panel and this conversation to share these ideas uh, around how you've been supporting the professionals and, and the high, high, uh, pro- high performing individuals that you've been blessed to work with. Can I can I just share Please. one quick thing, yeah. Karen? Is is you're saying that, and that taps into this notion of again going back to vulnerability. People step over, they poo poo the grief because a it's hard, and b it exposes something that so many have tried to maintain control over. I was speaking with somebody earlier today, an executive, and asked her how she was about something that had you know was going on in her life, and she said, "I'm fine." very protective, very. And I said, you do know that the word fine is the other four letter F word, right? (laughs) And she started to laugh and she said, I hadn't thought about it that way. And you're right. And then she let down and then she, then she was in, but not everybody's ready to go there. So kind of finding that, that outlet to provide that safety and the invitation around what you've just discussed and what you shared. I know. The business community has done a poor job. I will say this business culture has done a poor mm-hmm. job of recognizing and slowing down for that. So like I described, when we look at the issue of trauma, most research and articles and business editorials around trauma are prizing leaders about their trauma as a way to make them great. And when we look at grief, Instead of recognizing disconnection as a form of grief and Zoom as a form of grief, what we're doing is we're prizing this idea that it can be virtually connected. We're just overriding it, overriding it, overriding it because of our discomfort. And the business community, organizationally, and leaders have to come together to say, we're going to pause, we're going to slow down, and we're going to at least acknowledge what's happening here before we begin to move on towards success and development and growth. Yeah, Andy and Steve, I know you're both familiar with this, but prior to COVID hitting back in October 19, I experienced a great loss uh, with an attempted suicide uh, with my husband. And I chose to be very um, upfront about it and journal about it on social media with some protection, uh, you know, protective layer around, am I being respectful of my husband? Am I taking care of Karen first? But I was called to do that because I knew and I know that I'm not alone, right? Whether it's a, it's a terminal illness or it's a divorce or a child that's um, having difficulty and, and we don't know how to pull them out of that depression or whatever it is, we're all experiencing it. People having COVID and having been in the hospital. I mean, like this is, these are tragic things. And this was even pre-COVID, but something drove me to say my role as a leader in this community is to say, Frick, I'm hurting. <laughs> I am having a difficult time. I'm I'm traversing waters that I've never in my lifetime thought I would have to work through. And as Andy pointed out, I'm going to do the best I can to have my feet in both places as often as I can. And and it was clear sometimes when when I was you know more in pain than than uh, leadership. Uh, but I will tell you, being vulnerable, being willing to tell my story as it was happening, but. 
I was able to connect with eight different individuals, some of which I knew personally, some came by way of my journal, that of eight lives that I've saved, eight. In the course of just saying, this is excruciating, and and here's how I'm handling this, and, and you know, and, and continuing to show up at work as often as I could and, and having people really relying on people rallying around me and asking for what I needed. So there's something to be said around the conversation, not only of grief and, and making it more an integral part of, of how, we, how we show up, how we take care of each other, but also around vulnerability. So I just put that out there to share because it's, it's been so impactful and, and people still reach out, uh, you know, a year and a half later and, and tell me, you know, what, what my story meant for them and how they were able to share it with the people that were hurting in their life. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. I had a similar experience. Um, Karen knows I, I had uh, COVID, very serious COVID, and I was in the hospital for, for six days. And, um, you know, I didn't share it with anyone until after I was out. But I decided that it was important to do that because um, what I found is the the reaction I got is people were shocked and a lot of them sort of came to the conclusion that, uh, wow, he can get it. I might be able to get Mm. it. Right. And so I found that it was helpful for some people because, you know, I think some people felt ashamed that they got COVID, right? Because uh, some were promoting that, you know, you're not macho, uh, you know, if you get COVID. So I felt it was important for me to share with my community and uh, found that people were very receptive of that. And I don't know if I saved any lives, but, uh, you know, I did find that people, um, you know, reacted in that way. I described that, you know, if, if Zylesford could get it, anybody can get it. That hooray to that, because our, especially from our men, right? That that we is our leaders. We look up to leaders, and we say, you know, oftentimes, wow, they've got it all, right? Or that's what the facade or how it appears. And for you to have that private journey with your family, and I remember it was you mentioned it was very scary for all of you, right? But then to yeah. come back around after that and say, hey, listen, you know, here's what went down for me individually, and how that how I experienced it, how I felt, and and here's how it was for my family. That's huge for people especially Absolutely. those who've looked up to you. I'll, I'll open it up to others as well. And I think that's what we need to start doing with leaders is leaders do not look down for influence. They look up. So part of my vision and my goal as a coach is to go up as high as I can into senior leadership as high as I can with the world's highest level leaders to create emotional change, create structural change to allow them to have a space to process because we have all these leaders who are looking up And if we can transform and we can change leaders at the top, then maybe leaders underneath them will say, maybe it's okay for me to do that too. Maybe it's okay for me to share that. And structurally an organization, you have to start at the top. And I think for us as coaches, um, at least for me, that's a passion of why I work with the highest level leaders Mm -hmm. is I want them to create a safe space for all the leaders who follow them. I love that because it's that whole role modeling aspect that you're talking about, right? If I'm able to demonstrate and 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 be this way, um, then it gives permission to others to show up. And I think it also it, it helps to instill trust and transparency differently than the way it is today. A lot of employees, you know, a lot of leaders and employees are protecting themselves because they don't want somebody to find out about 
something that's going on or a hard time that they're having, or that, you know, internally an individual may recognize that they're not performing at their highest level. And it's when they, they understand that they have the environment to be transparent and vulnerable, that that's, the, it's, it's a way to ask for help. In a, in a way that perhaps they hadn't tapped into before. But Andy, to your point, starting at that highest level and helping to activate that type of a experience and culture is what makes a huge difference for employees in the workplace. And I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if employees need to share everything with their oh, senior no. leaders. And I don't think senior no, no. leaders, I don't think senior leaders are aware of their, um, the power that they possess there, but it goes a long way for a senior leader to not have to dig into people's lives that they lead, but to say, hey, I've created a culture in that we have a support system for you if you're struggling. We have A, B, and C options. We care about you. Let me know how I can best support you, but you don't have to come directly to me. That's why I think there's people outside of the organization mm-hmm. to provide support systems for an organization, because I don't know if the leader should be that person to offer that support system. It's a great point. Really great. You were going to say something. On the other hand, um, we as coaches, and I will say senior leaders, when we come across an incident with an employee or a group of employees, it's our job to listen and to listen for clarity, to get to the underpinning of the problem, which is what you were showing, Joni when you talked about using the F word, right? It's getting down deep and not only listening, but as I mentioned, having the compassion to say, I've been in your shoes or I understand your shoes. And then, Andy, here's what we can go into about. So, you know, I've had multiple clients sobbing in our Zoom calls. And, you know, the important part is to let them grieve, to let them release, to acknowledge that they're going through a tough time, and then converting that to how we may assist. Yeah, holding space for someone is so critical. And Linda, you spoke to that earlier as well, just that ability to listen. I think leaders often are such fixers and doers that, um, you know, if somebody does come to them, they want to give the resource and fix it. And and, and, and sometimes like, you know, well, how come this isn't fixed yet? <laughs> you know, because if this was my issue, this is what I would do with it. And uh, being able to hold space for folks and, and acknowledge, as you said, uh, is I think one of the great greatest gifts that we can give each other. Let's, uh, we only have a, a few minutes left, if you can imagine that. These conversations always, always go wildly, so wildly fast. fast. Yes. So I want to make sure that we have an opportunity to um, hit on all the points that you had hoped to come and share today. Is there any aspect of, of leadership or even this remote world that we're living in, you know, being a, um, a busy professional that you feel that our listeners might benefit from hearing um, that we haven't thought to bring up yet? I would be happy to hear from each of you. One of the questions that uh, we had possibly talked about is what style is best for a leader in this era? In my philosophy is that every style has strengths and weaknesses, but our key as leaders is to adapt to those we're talking to, whether that's our customer, 
or whether that's our employee or whether it's another supplier. It's the ability to adapt, to get on that person's side. You know, the image is that you've got one boat coming up against another, you know, sliding and moving in place at the same time. And that's what we have to try to accomplish. So our style, whether you're whatever, D, I, S, or C, doesn't really matter. What matters is our adaptability to others so that we can extract the best out of the moments with them. Thank you, Linda, for speaking to that question. We had all kind of been prompted to talk about Joni or Andy, <laughs> Stephen, anything else to add? If I was... Uh... Reflecting on that particular question as well, Linda, I came up with the same conclusion. I don't think that there is a particular perfect style, leadership style. I think your point is uh, is well taken in terms of adaptability. I also think curiosity is an important competency, if, if it's called that, to have from a leadership standpoint. Because oftentimes what we see from our lens and from where we're sitting is we see a particular way, right? But because we're looking at the at the other person or we're looking at the problem or whatever it is. But if we were to change our where we're sitting and, and head to the other side and look at it from a different perspective and be curious about something, especially in this um, uncertain environment, uh, I think curiosity is, is a big part of what leaders should spend some time being as opposed to being certain. For leaders who are like a described in this position of I'm not sure it's worth the cost to go into my emotion Mm -hmm. because I'm afraid of what it will cost me. I guess my question for them would be the way you work endlessly and shove everything down inside and hold it in here. If you have children, is that the way that you would want your children to live their life? And most of the time, most of the time leaders are going to say, absolutely not. And then I would ask them, now, why do you treat yourself that way? And ultimately, they will grow up to do exactly what you did unless they have some intense intervention down the road, which you probably don't want for them. <laughs> so you right now have an opportunity to change the narrative for them by modeling for them what it looks like to be an emotionally whole leader. And you free them up from all the baggage that you've given them. You have an opportunity to change that narrative. And I think that's one of the most exciting things um, for leaders is that you can start this journey at any time and create a positive impact in your own life, in your family, and in your children. I think to add to that too, Andy, some of the folks that I've had the pleasure of working with, they're like, listen, I don't want to go in there where I stuffed everything because I'm afraid if I go in there and take a look at that, I'm never getting out. And it's yes. going to be so deep and so dark that, that you know, how will I continue to manage my family, run my business, lead my team. And and I think we can all collectively say that uh, there are ways to do it, trauma therapy and a lot of other different um, modalities, a lot of them blended to help people continue to stay present with the demands of the day, find those outlets that Steve spoke to on the weekend or in between your day when you can get them in, but also work with a professional like yourselves to take a deeper look at what's going on behind the curtain and how can I change that story, change that conversation and bring healing and wholeness, wholeness to myself so that, again, I leave a legacy of, of health and, and hope 
as instead of strife and, and, you know, teaching others to do the same thing. So that's the thing that I'd like to leave everybody with is that this is an incredible panel of experts. These are individuals that I do dearly hope that you reach out to. And, and connect with and just an exploratory conversation. I'm going to I'm going to say that. And then when I, we ask you to share your information before we close out the segment, if there's a formal way that someone can connect with you, please let us know that. But I always say to folks, listen, it just begins with a conversation. And if I'm not the right person for you, you know, somebody else, somebody else likely is. So I hope that you're inspired today uh, around our conversation. I've heard of several different themes, one of which, though, that Joni spoke to in the very beginning was this ability to be self-reflective and self-manage. And to Andy's point, we don't always know how to do that. So go work with one of these fine individuals to learn how to become uh, that beacon of light that Linda spoke about uh, for yourself. Stephen, anything? I want to speak yeah, to that. Um, please. In all the years that I've been in the business world and all of the individuals that I've met that have had coaches, leadership coaches, I've never, ever heard one say, oh, that was a mistake, (laughs) right? It's always the opposite, right? It's that, oh, my God, they've changed my life. They've turned things around for me. So uh, I know people are concerned about going down that deep, dark hole, but uh, oh. Almost every, well, everyone that I've ever interacted with has said it's been a good experience. For sure. And that deep, dark hole is like a pressure cooker. (laughs) If it's not handled with, you know, the folks who can support you, that's, it's eventually going to erupt. And and we don't want to see that spill. You know, you don't want to experience that when, when it's an inopportune opportunity in time. Uh, so thank you again all for being here. And Stephen, thank you for sharing that last bit for us. Um, we're just at the top of the hour, but if you could again share your name and the best way for us to stay in touch with you, we'll close out with that. And then I have a few words before we go out. Linda, could you start for us? Absolutely. I'm Linda C. Drake on LinkedIn, but I've got a phone number here in Tucson, which is 520 And again, uh, we're doing coaching nationwide uh, for C-level and emerging leaders. So uh, I'd love to be connected. Linda at michaelbeachcoach.com. Wonderful. Thank you. Joni, how about you? You bet. I also am on LinkedIn under Joni Hibden. Um, So check that out. I can be reached uh, on 303-881-4055, Colorado number, but I am here in Arizona. Um, I also do national or nationwide coaching. And I, um, you can reach me at joan at jdhinsights.com. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Andy. Yeah, Andy Maurer. My email address is andy at andymaurer.com. That's M-A-U-R-E-R. Or you can go to my website at andymaurer.com to hear about what I mean by emotional wholeness for leaders. Wonderful. And Stephen, where will we find the Arizona Technology Council? Probably just that. <laughs> Great. You've been listening to AZ TechCast brought to you by Phoenix Business Radio with Business Radio X. Today's AZ TechCast was brought to you by the Arizona Commerce Authority, the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. Thank you so much again, Arizona Commerce Authority, for your support. And many thanks as well to JDH Insights, the 2021 tech advocate sponsor. Visit jdhinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. 
And if you're interested in being a podcast participant or sponsor for the council's AZ Tech Cast, please contact marketing at aztechcouncil.org to lock in your opportunity to further position you as a tech expert, influencer, and innovator. Some media leans left, some lean right, and we lean business here at Business Radio X. Until next time, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.